should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, Love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. Our guest today is Vish Gaikwad, who uh, has an article out titled, How's This for a Trending Topic? Uh, hashtag gay life, no diversity in sight, which is featured on The Advocate, but he's also got his own website called Vish Delish, and uh, he's uh, a Gaysian. <laughs> Vish, welcome to the program. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Michelle. Really excited. Yes, yes, yes. I, I'm, I'm totally excited to talk to you. I love talking about... Um, you know, this topic, this topic of, of gay life and uh, diversity yeah. within our own community. So, you know, uh, take us through your article that has been featured on The Advocate. Um, you know, there's, there's this big talk about the Oscars right now and no diversity in it. What's your position? Well, yes, the article came, uh, came about um, with the hashtag um, uh, Oscars So White. And, you know, we've seen this hashtag over the last couple of years. And it brings, back, uh, brings uh, the question to light uh, about diversity in Hollywood. And that got me thinking, well, it's not just Hollywood that may have a diversity issue. What about the gay community? Mm -hmm. What about gay men? Mm -hmm. And so I wrote the article about whether, um, about our, our gay media, or about how it perpetuates the masculine, straight, white man as the ideal. And I think it's something that we see that's been dripped down by straight media into gay media. So I just saw some interesting patterns. Right. Especially, yes, in, in the in, you know, media in general, um, some of the most, uh, I guess, followed or the biggest voices of the gay community come from cis white gay men so someone like yeah. anderson cooper um you yeah. know uh <laughs> the guy from bravo i really don't really like him that much andy cohen and even cohen, you, yeah. you, youtube stars right the, like breakthrough youtube yeah. stars like davy wavy um you yeah. know troy savant who was just on the ellen degeneres show um but right. I, why do you think that that is and i think that has a lot to do with the fact that uh well, I read this in, in his history book um, in that, you know, okay. white gay men with money uh, have been influential in terms of the relationships that they have in Hollywood and yeah. not just Hollywood, but yeah. also, uh, yeah. you know, major media outlets. What are your thoughts? Well, I think it is to do with money and privilege and, um, you know, you're right about that. But I don't really have an issue with, with these, um, you know, these gay white celebrities who've made their name. That's great. Um, but it would be nice if they could maybe reach out and, and celebrate the diversity in our community. I mean, I'm not here to slate anyone. It's great that you've, you've, uh, come, you know, you've got your privilege and you're doing really well for yourself. 
but why not? Why don't we shine light on the other um, aspects of our community? You know, we're a diverse bunch, aren't we? After all, mm-hmm. and I think that's the main. That's my main point. My emphasis is that I wish there was. I wish these um, these maybe white gay celebrities could shine their celebrity, their their um, uh, their influence on maybe people of color within the community mm-hmm. that could perhaps. Uh, gain their voice as well. It's all about working together. I, I'm not interested in like putting down anyone. Of course. Um, it would just like, it, yeah. It would just be nice to have more unity. And um, yeah. Right. But I guess my art. Sorry, go on. No, I was just going to take that to a deeper conversation. And it's not even just media. I mean, when we're out in our mm. community, um, there also mm. seems to be a different experience for those of us in, of, of color than those of us, you know, who are not. Uh, just take, for example, yeah. you know, here in San Francisco, I know that you're in, in London, uh, but in San Francisco, you know, even the gay neighborhood, the Castro has become, or historically speaking, it has been white. And, uh, and, and over yeah. time, it's just gotten even more white. And that presents a problem for those who don't feel included in the community. Yes. Absolutely. Well, we have a similar area here in London called the Soho District. I don't know if you've heard of it. Mm-hmm. And I've been to Castro when I came to um, San Fran. So, um, I mean, I loved it. It was great. And, um, but regarding the mainstream, meet, uh, mainstream gay scene, yes, it is predominantly white. And in London, it, it's the same case over here. Um, and I find that as a gay Asian, as a gay Asian individual, um, we've had to carve out our own niche. So um, I don't know how it is over there, but mm-hmm. over here, we have our own nightclubs. We have our own um, uh, safe areas where we can be out gay and, and a person of color. And sometimes, you know, I meet a lot of people and um, they kind of say, well, maybe we don't feel that welcome in the mainstream community. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought that was quite interesting to hear that. Um, but then I thought, well, well, how... How can we build that bridge between mainstream and the sideline community? Well, I think, as say a person of color, I I think we should still continue to go on to the mainstream um, gay scene or the LGBT scene. I think we should still show our face, and I think that's the that's the way forward. Yes, we can't shy away. We have to. We still have to go on this mainstream, um, you know, the mainstream scene. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, let's take that um, uh, to a different, or I guess, uh, up a notch. Um, let's talk about yeah. dating. Let's talk about dating within our own community and how that also impacts the um, you know, lack of diversity, maybe. I don't know if you want to yeah. contribute to that. Well, I've written a part, a part of the article that explore my dating adventures. And, you know, within the gay community, we use a lot of dating apps and uh, Tinder, Gaydar, whatever, and um, it's, it's, I find I'm not very successful. And it could be for a variety of reasons, um, but unfortunately I have come across a couple of profiles which, has, which have um, clearly stated uh, no Asians, uh, no, fat, uh, no, no chubby people, no effeminate men, and unfortunately I kind of fall into those kind of categories. And it makes you feel kind of unwelcome. Mm. And I understand people have their preferences, be it a racial preference or a body preference, whatever. Uh, um, and that's fine. But when, when, when did it be, become okay to be so insensitive? Mm-hmm. And 
I, I wish we could just break that down. Yes, and I don't know the answer to that. And I've been asking myself that since coming out at 19 years old. I'm now 33. And going back to what okay. you said, what, what, you know, how is it like in San Francisco? Well, yeah, for the longest time, we have had segregated, um, you know, get ups or, or meetups for yeah. people of color. Uh, I, I've always yeah. known it to be that way. And uh, I think, you know, maybe there may be a party or two that promote inclusion. Especially at like, you know, the cruises and things like that when you go to Olivia cruises. But then again, hey, if you're willing to shell out $2,000 with a, uh, a group of women, I guess it doesn't matter. Uh, it, it, it just yeah. all matters who has the money to get on that cruise. Yeah. Um, we don't all have that privilege. We don't have all right. that financial, you know, resource, do we? Um, but also I was wondering, like, say as a, as an, uh, a gay Asian individual, um, there are sometimes things holding us back to explore the mainstream um, community. Like sometimes we have issues with that within ourselves. Um, sometimes uh, there are many people who don't wish to be so out because if you explore the mainstream um, um, society, mainstream gay LGBT society, uh, some, some maybe from certain communities don't feel safe in exposing themselves um, yet. So it's kind of like a growing process as well. Um, and I think there are barriers within, say, the, the Asian community, perhaps, mm-hmm. like, like particularly here in London, that a lot of, lot of young, say, gay Asian men aren't fully comfortable coming out yet. Mm-hmm. And th- that's, that's where we need the mainstream, say, white gay men or, or anyone in the LGBT community just to, to have that support from them. Right. It's not easy for anyone to come out, is it really? Right, right. I, I, and I also, what I love about your article is that um, it doesn't only touch on color. I mean, there are so many different mm-hmm. aspects of shame and uh, and discrimination within our own community. And I, I'd love to have that con- candid conversation because I think that what it does is confront our, our evils, our, our demons, our ugly. Um, and I think that that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there are other things that we discriminate against, not just color, but also size and even manner- mannerisms. I know that there are different ways of of identifying in our community but yeah. uh, for example I don't know how you identify but there are men who um, you know are even uh, uh, don't even want to hook up with say effeminate men and that's that's hurtful no no well I found that really because um, I identify as someone who's um, rather effeminate and um, I'm proud of that this, this is how I've always been I, I don't know anything anything other than this my mannerisms and um, unfortunately Again, it could be due to um, how people have been conditioned in society, how um, things you know, spill over from straight society, that men should be a certain way, women should be a certain way, and we kind of take on that unconscious, you know, unconscious uh, bias there. So, unfortunately, I do get discriminated because of my mannerisms, because I'm not masculine enough, or, um, so it, which basically reads as, well, you're not attractive enough. And that kind of kind of takes a knock to your confidence, you know. Hmm. Oh, dash. Yeah. That that would be probably the reason why I'm not on on the uh, online dating apps. I, yeah. I think I would yeah. just cry every day. <laughs> oh, I know. But oh. I think your skin does get thicker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think you get on. You, you just have to deal with it. You just get on with it. And you think, okay, these people who are judging me while it's their conditioning. Um, you know, they've clearly been influenced by various aspects of their life. 
So that's why they have their preferences. And mm -hmm. sometimes all you can do is let people be. Well, well, Vish, I mean, I really appreciate you just being you. I mean, even just uh, you defining yourself as a London-living, Britney-loving Gaijin on your <laughs> article, you know, says a lot. And I think that, that it is confronting the racism that exists in our community. And it's up to those mm. who participate in bad behavior or perpetuate, you know, that negativity mm. that they should really be honest with themselves. And, and I think that it does make a difference. I really do. Don't you? Yes, absolutely. I think I think it's important to have these conversations that we're having now. We need to open this dialogue and not keep it like under our hats or hide away from it. Um, so I think there's there's a lot of work to do from say the majority of the people that exist in say commercial LGBT scene to people who are say people of color or uh, whatever minority characteristic they might have, and. We just need to find a way where we can communicate with one another. Well, and it's fine that if people have their preferences, that's right. okay. I'm not holding that against anyone. But sometimes this can spill over to some sort of negativity and bitchiness and unkindness. Right. Right. So yeah. I wanted to ask you in terms of the response you got from that article you wrote that was featured in The Advocate. I mean, was it... Mm -hmm. Was it a, a you know a wake up call in terms of you know what's out there in our community, what people are saying, or or were people fairly supportive of what you were saying? I think people were fairly, like I read the comments underneath, and people were, <laughs> and people who tweeted me. I um I don't know if it's always a good idea to read people's comments. I know, but, right? Um, generally, they were favorable. Um, I got a couple of uh, messages saying that. Um, um, that I had this expectation that people should find me attractive. Well, I, I didn't know I was trying to say that. I, I wasn't saying that at all. I was just, um, uh, I think some people thought maybe I was on my high horse trying to be all preachy and that people should find me attractive. Um, no, the, I think you've missed the point. The article wasn't about me, you know, necessarily me. It's about the wider community and the dialogue that needs to happen. Mm -hmm. and questioning why why isn't diversity celebrated mm -hmm. and um i think that was a, yeah so i did have a couple of unfortunate uh messages that may have interpreted my my article to in a certain way but um i think the mona the main aspect of my article was to to shine light on a on a broader broader topic well, I really appreciated okay. your your article, and I, I know that you do other things, such as um, you know you do uh, also some comics, uh, which is really cool. Yeah. Tell us about your oh, your comic work. Uh, well, they're pretty basic, but um, but I enjoy doing them. It's something I do on my in my um, spare time. So basically, um, I've created these these um, quirky characters, and. Um, uh, it's all based in an Indian kitchen, uh, in a restaurant. And it's, it's just about these two best friends and their shenanigans working for one of their mother's Indian restaurants. And uh, it's, it's, just, it's just meant to be a campy, fun, bright, um, engaging way, which um, incorporates the LGBT community. There's a trans character. There's a, um, a lesbian character. There's, there's all kinds of, like, I want to celebrate all of the spectrum of the LGBT community. And, that, and that's what I'm trying to do with this comic. Um, I love it. I, I really do. And, and <laughs> we don't talk enough about you know, also being um, 
being brown in our community. I think yeah. that that is um, a, a really important topic, especially right now here in this country, being black and brown, um, and not just yeah. in the LGBTQ community, but just being black and brown, period, in this country, um, you know, is, is uh, it continues to be a, a problem, and that sounds horrible. But what's it like to be brown in London and gay and dating? Um, well, luckily, London is a very diverse city. I mean, have you been, Michelle? Yes, I have. And unfortunately, yeah. my heart was broken in London. So let's not go there. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I but it's okay. It? Uh, yeah. I, <laughs> pending who's <laughs> listening. <laughs> but but no, I totally I, I know that there's a vibrant Asian Indian community out um in London, the UK and historically and politically yeah. speaking. Um uh, but but I know that it, it also does not void you from, you know, your own specific uh, uh personal experiences. Yes. Yes. So um yes, yeah, so the London scene is, is it is pretty diverse. Like we have the gay scene yes we have the mainstream which is considered more more mainstream or white but you know what we have an underground scene which is much more ethnically diverse um and you know there's, there's something that caters for everyone in london i mean i think that's what's so great about it over here and and generally because it's such a diverse city there's, there's so many ethnicities here people generally get along and I have to say that about London. It, 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 of course, it's a, it's a huge, busy city, but people, people connect if they want to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what I've noticed about London, I would say. Um, I mean, did you feel that when you when you came over? Um, did, did you get to? No, I mean it, it was a while ago, and I guess what I'm referring to is even in, at LGBTQ conferences, like we just had one, you know, Chicago, in which um, there was definitely, uh, you know, some controversy there between a okay. Jewish group or an Israeli LGBTQ group and uh, a Palestinian mm. group, and although those are very, very different groups than Asian Indian. Um, I'm finding that this there's this general uh, uh, controversial or negative sentiment being directed to brown people, um, you know, kind of grouped together, inclusive of, of, of Muslims. And so I just had wondered if, if you know, if if any of that had trickled through to to where you're at. Um, I'm not sure. Um... I'm not sure to be honest, but uh, that's good. That's a good thing. Yeah, yeah, and and I'm glad you, think, you're still I a think, Britney fan. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Mm. I mean, I think um, as my article pointed out, pointed out, I mean, uh, racism does exist, and basically, racism. What is racism? It's just like it's ignorance, isn't it? Really, and it's about people not stepping out of their comfort zones. And I think that's when you break down what is racism, I think that's what it is. And, um, and, and you know, like, say, say, in the London gay scene, you get people who are very clicky, who, who like to stay or hang out with people who are just like them or who are considered cool or attractive, maybe, maybe um, you know, through their perception, and are afraid or are unwilling to maybe, you know, reach out to someone else in the LGBT community who may not be like them or um, may not be considered cool by media, stand, media standards. And it, you know what? It, it would be just nicer that if we could break down these walls. Mm-hmm. And that's what I would like to see more in, say, the London gay scene. I think I would like 
old, instead of having an underground Gaijin scene, maybe it's time that came up to the foreground and we all just mixed it up a bit more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's what I'd like to see more. Yeah. Um, th- what else is next What's for Vish like Delicious? Are, are you, well, San Francisco is super political, and right now, like I had mentioned, um, you know what is uh, intense right now is the uh, discussion yeah. around racial injustice impacting Black lives. Yeah. And so, you know, yeah. the Black Lives Matter movement was born out of here in 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 uh, in California in Oakland. Um, so, so the founders are from here in Oakland in response to a shooting that had happened during public transportation yeah. situation here. And now it's a worldwide movement, in my opinion. And so, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you take that plus the fact that the Castro, the gay neighborhood, um, it has become much more uh, white, has become much more straight. Uh, it's pushing queer yeah. people out of their own communities. And then to yeah. put the cherry on top of this Sunday, you've got the city transforming into the being the tech capital of the entire country. Um, so, you know, there's lots of people who've got high incomes moving into San Francisco, then again, pushing out all the musicians, the artists, the, you know, uh, the sick, the poor, yeah. the seniors. Um, so there's a lot going on politically here in which queer lives are greatly being impacted in a, in a pretty negative way, which is sad to say. Oh, that's awful. Yeah. So, you know, I think I think it's interesting that you and I are having this conversation, um, me being Asian American and, and, and Southeast Asian for that matter, um and, yeah. and, and you being Asian Indian in London and our our experiences are similar, but yet, you know, it's it's really great to also then talk about the specifics of a geographical location. I'm happy to hear that, you know, that there is support for you. Uh there's an underground Gaijin community, but we've got people yeah. like you who are trying to break through with voices, and so I really yeah. do appreciate that. I mean, yes, I mean, we are lucky to have an underground scene, but obviously the UK is a big place, and there, you know, I was brought up in a more of a smaller suburb in the UK, and we didn't really ha- ever have that support of, of, we didn't even have a, much of a mainstream gay scene, forget an underground Gaijin scene. So it's even harder for people in the suburbs, and I can imagine that's true. Uh, that's true over over where you're at. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Well, uh, Vish, I, I want to thank you so much for joining us here today and taking the time out and also for posting that wonderful article. I'm glad The Advocate ran that. And for, for anyone, you know, who felt uncomfortable about it, I really think that you should uh, look within yourself and ask yeah. and ask yourself why you would even have a problem with someone who's talking about race issues within our own community. Um, so thank you, Vish. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been such a pleasure. If you'd like to follow Vish and his work, you can head to vishdelish.com, and that's Vish as in V-I-S-H, and his article is posted up at The Advocate, and it's under commentary titled, How's This for a Trending Topic? Hashtag Gay Life No Diversity in Sight. Well, we will continue the show right after this break. Don't go away.
Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. Our producer, Fong, is in studio. Fong, I'm going to ask again. I think, you know, a few days ago you said you were feeling the burn. Are you still feeling the burn? Yeah. I'm going to I'm going to keep asking you until the day we go to vote. Oh, yeah, that's what my friend, yeah, she was like, "You serious?" and I'm like, "Yeah, I'm serious." Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's coming down to I mean, I don't know. I'm still 50-50. I'm still split. I think that there's still a lot of time left between Hillary mm. and Bernie Sanders. Um, although I would like to say out there for those who give people a hard time online, for supporting Bernie Sanders within our own community. I mean, don't be a hypocrite. Mm. Don't wait, use wait. What do you mean being a hypocrite? Oh, well, you know, falling into the whole uh, abusive tactics on our strategies online, attacking anybody who's a Bernie Sanders supporter because they're a Hillary Clinton supporter. Support. I mean, it just creates it's, this divisive community within people who want the same things. Right. It's, it's, here's the thing that my friend and I talked about. We're very, very concerned because I'm wondering, because you know how the Republicans, they're, they're doing pretty well because, you know, one side they have Donald Trump. What? I usually don't want to talk about him. Um, and then the other side, they have Ted Cruz. So they're, in a way, they're very strategic about how they placing these two candidates together. And then, you know, of course, Donald Trump, you know, all these things that he, he talks about. And But Ted Cruz, though, see, that's what I'm afraid of. If folks are kind of splitting the vote with between trying to figure out Bernie, Hillary, and, you know, we need... Either one of one of them, actually. We need one of them. We don't want to come through the well, other side. I don't know, Fong. I mean, I get that people are are totally feeling like Donald Trump could be the uh, president of the United States in 2016, but I have please. high hopes for our people. Right. Listen up. Donald Trump has just announced that if elected president, he would like to reverse marriage equality. And he thinks that it should be a state's decision. So that's what we're, we're looking forward to if elected, uh, if Donald Trump is elected. And the other side of it is Ted Cruz had just at uh, a rally in Iowa supported the Duck Dynasty dude. 
I don't know, some Pat Robinson. No, it's not Pat Robinson. I don't know, Mr. Robertson, the old wizard-looking guy. <laughs> I don't turn into that Duck Dynasty show. But the guy basically were like, gay people are evil and they're wicked and uh, uh, they want to devour this nation. We should get rid of the politicians who support them. <laughs> so if you are looking to support any of these conservative candidates, that's what you are looking forward to. Flip that table. Yes. So, you know, anyway, let's get our show started. And speaking of progress and uh, and LGBTQ equality, well, uh, has there been progress within the medical community? And we'll find out. Our next guest is Casey Quinlan, who has an article out at theestablishment.co. Uh, .co, uh, sorry, in which the title of the article is How Medical Schools Are Failing the LGBTQ Community, which, uh, you know, reading this article is a big surprise for me. Casey, thank you so much for joining us here on the program. Thanks for inviting me. Um, so just with that big title in itself, I, like I said, it, it, this article is, is quite a surprise considering, um, you know, the medical community would be regarded as an advanced community and advanced. Some would like to think that, that politically so, but that's not the case in your article. Right. Yes. Um, for example, I mean, you know, a lot of the problem with uh, the medical community not catching up. Uh, has to really it relates to the fact that um, that the medical establishment is very much um, afraid of talking about sex in general, and uh, and so even even to talk about um, you know issues that are affecting heterosexual people um, and cisgender people, they have difficulty handling. Um, so um, so this is something that you know it's entirely new to them to be considering um, all the different you know, health issues that, that affect LGBT people and how to, you know, how to consider LGBT patients and be, you know, open to the fact that their patient could be, you know, um, could be trans or could, you know, be gay or really, you know, any, fit into any, uh, any group other than uh, heterosexual and cisgender. So um, that's been a huge learning curve and, uh, and they, they have a long way to go. And then the other side of it is also, you know, um, students who want to learn more about not just the queer community and queer health, but themselves, if they identify as LGBTQI. In this article, there's also a negative impact there, right? Right. Um, well, you know, for example, um, you know, one, one study found that uh, out of Stanford found that, you know, 30% of, um, of LGBT students um, had concealed their identity, um, you know, in general, and that out of that group, 40% um, had concealed their identity because they're worried about discrimination at uh, at school. So that's that's a huge problem. Um, and you know, some schools have have done a great job at being very, you know, inclusive. Um, you know, for example, on the West Coast, it's, it's much more. You know, some of the some of the medical schools there are much more open and uh, have many more like LGBT faculty members and. So that's kind of a different, um, different issue uh, in general on the West Coast, it seems, from, from what I've gathered. But, but in general, uh, it's, still, it's still a pretty big issue. Let's, let's take ourselves all the way back to um, elementary or, or middle school even. I don't even remember when they introduced uh, sex ed classes. And, uh, and I don't know if, if, if this has been um, discussed in your article or, you know, but I want to talk about the, the, yes, the evolution of sex ed classes. And I'm hoping that it has, in, mm-hmm. has, it has evolved to include sexual orientation and gender identity. Um, do, do we know if there's been any progress in that regard? 
um, are you speaking about K through 12 um, in general? Uh, because I can speak to that. Um, yeah, you know, let's start. Let's start with K through 12, and then move on uh, up to right. high school. Yeah. So, so really, um, the the answer is that uh, it's pretty bad. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of sex ed classes don't even acknowledge um, the existence of LGBT people at all, and you know that's that's very difficult for a lot of students to deal with. Um, you know, because you know not even seeing yourself reflected in your sex education is uh, is just a very uh, erasing and, and difficult thing to deal with when you're you know trying to sort through all kinds of other issues that you're dealing with at school, and on top of that. You know your sex education class doesn't even recognize you, so um, so that's still a major issue. And some schools are making some progress, but uh, but even when you know like sex education advocates are talking about the issue of, of being much more sex positive in general when they're talking about sex education and just being obviously more factually accurate uh, than sex education currently is, um, there's still this hesitancy to to bring. Uh, LGBT topics up, or to or to consider talking about LGBT students uh, when we're talking about sex education and making that more progressive. So that's that has a huge like that, that has a long way to go as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I I um I mean this like I said it was a big surprise <laughs> reading your article because here I am in San Francisco and thinking that uh, um, uh, the universities you know are evolving in this um, but it but it's um, quite shocking to hear otherwise. It, w- there's this whole idea in our community, though, the LGBTQI community, in which in our fight for marriage equality, um, you know, the, the right-wing conservative groups had, had uh, attacked us using this idea of talking about our sex life. And then I think that there was once upon a time a campaign to counter that was to say that, you know, sex is, is that's between two people in the privacy of their bedroom. Um, your your article would argue that if, if we were to talk about sex in a private manner, that actually does a disservice to our community, right? Right, right. Um, you know, one of the important points that, um, that, that was made in the piece was, um, you know, just the fact that, you know, these conversations are discussed as being very uncomfortable or at least they're being, you know, painted as uncomfortable by... Uh, you know, by these medical schools because they're talking about, um, you know, instructors are basically telling students, well, um, you know, you might want to say to a patient, well, you know, this is going to be uncomfortable, but we're going to start talking about your sexual history. And so that kind of just sets things up to to make sex seem like this very private, awkward thing that we should feel, you know, ashamed of discussing and then that also makes the physicians feel awkward about it, like if they don't feel awkward about it, then that's unusual. And so, you know, both the patient and the physician are made to feel awkward about something that mm-hmm. should not be awkward at all. Right, right. Um, and, and it just seems so natural that, you know, as this country evolves in um, LGBTQ equality, that we would address this, especially in the medical space. I mean, what what shall we do? I mean... Even, uh, you know, going to the doctor uh, and uh, trying to be open about it, it, there's still, yeah, I'm just going to say it, there's still some uncomfortable uh, questions being asked. Um, So if we don't address this now, how long will it take for us to actually make some change? Um, Well, uh, a very long time, because um, one of the things that, you know, some of the the sources I was talking to for the piece mentioned um, 
you know, it's just the fact that it takes a very long time for the medical school, you know, curriculum to change. So, you know, if you're going to move for progress on this, uh, it will take a long time as it is. And so the faster you move on it, the better, because, you know, it's, uh, it's very difficult to convince people to, to move on these issues. And, you know, it, it does help a little bit, I think, for, um, for students to speak up, even though it's difficult um, for students to do that because of the power imbalance. But, but that's also pretty important. So, yeah, it could, it could take a significant amount of time because, you know, there's also um, not a great priority as well on making sure that the appropriate research is available to, to talk about different LGBT issues more often. So, so that's also a problem. But, you know, there, there is also um, some good news in terms of being able to make sure that certain data is developed. Mm -hmm. um, because recently, for example, um, you know, there was, uh, you know, part of the Affordable Care Act, you know, had a provision that related to having, you know, a national database of, of information that would be gathered about different groups to, you know, figure out which, you know, health disparities uh, there were for certain groups. So finally, um, I believe it's going to be in uh, 2017 uh, that, that finally there's going to be this, or 2018 rather, that this uh, data is going to be allowed to be gathered um, and put into a national database so that we have like a better sense of, of you know, all of this research and and people can actually, like, start moving on, on teaching uh, med students. All these things are very important. Well, that's, uh, yeah, that's comforting, I think, I guess a little bit. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. it's a little bit in the future, and, right. and even that will take a while, so it's not incredibly comforting, but it's something. Right, right. And then what can, I mean, there's got to be something that we can do to send a message to medical schools and professionals who uh, make up curriculum in some ways, I mean, do, do, is that going to require you know, pressure from students? But but I would imagine that not just students, but uh, a whole lot of others. Right. I mean, I think that it's definitely something that um, that national uh, national LGBT organizations um, could could work on a little bit more in terms of. Um, I mean, something you know the Human Rights Campaign has done, which has been more of a positive reinforcement. Um, you know, has been to sort of rank, you know, these different med schools according to how active they are on these issues, which is great. But, um, but unfortunately, you know, uh, shame might be required as well. So um, I think that if there were more campaigns to, to kind of, you know, look into which schools aren't doing the appropriate amount of instruction and, you know, perhaps as one source mentioned, you know, saying, well, here's a gay day and, you know, like that's it and we're not going to, you know, talk about these issues again because we've covered them or something. You know, to make sure that those schools are, are held accountable, I think that, you know, different organizations can monitor them more closely and, and, uh, and make sure that students, uh, especially LGBT students who are looking for, for a place to go for medical school, you know, are aware of the fact that this school is, is behind. Casey, we have to take a quick break right here, but when we come back, I'd love to continue our discussion about why medical schools are failing the LGBTQ community. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Thanks 
for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on on Facebook. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. On the Progressive Voices Facebook page, we update the stories that our hosts like Tom Hartman, Stephanie Miller, Bill Press, and Leslie Marshall will be talking about during their shows. And we share great news, commentaries, opinion pieces, and videos from all over the progressive world. Always progressive, always on. Be part of the progressive conversation. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boyes came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face with today's thought leaders. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. Our guest today is Casey Quinlan, who has an article out uh, at the establishment titled How Medical Schools Are Failing the LGBTQ Community. Casey, I, you know, I want to talk about the, um, the stigma that exists uh, surrounding, you know, sexual behavior within the LGBTQ community. Uh, you know, what, what it... What does the medical community think about LGBTQ people and our sexual behavior? Um, well, there, there seems to definitely be um, a lot of assumptions about uh, promiscuity and, um, and, and, you know, sort of, I guess, targeting uh, LGBT pa- uh, patients a little bit more uh, in terms of, you know, talking to them about um, HIV prevention and everything, which, you know, is one of the sources mentioned uh, in the piece, you know, it's important for everyone to to engage in HIV prevention, and and so to sort of focus that on certain patients as opposed to others, you know, can sort of discourage people from wanting to come in, especially if it's framed a certain way or um, there are certain assumptions that's made about you know the person's sex life uh, based off of really only knowing their sexual orientation. Um, you know, specifically for bisexual women, um, you know. One of um, you know one of the med uh, students in the, in the piece is talking about the fact that you know there tend to be assumptions made um, about her when she comes into a doctor's office. Um, sometimes she's assumed to be straight, and then she has to tell people that you know she's queer, and and so that kind of you know reaction, the reaction that she gets is like this wide-eyed stare, and so she has to she has to contend with that every single time she comes in. Mm-hmm. And so for like a lot of uh, bisexual women in particular. Um, it seems as if, and I found this recently uh, at a panel about, um, you know, health issues in the bisexual community, 
Um, you know, there was a woman who spoke about the fact that, you know, one of her doctors said to her, um, you know, once she had revealed her, um, her sexual orientation, it basically said, well, you know, oh, so you've been with a lot of partners then. And, and so it was just like, mm. you know, she just couldn't believe that she would say something like that to her. Um, and, you know, she, she was able to deal with it just fine. But some people might be scared off from, from talking to their, uh, their healthcare provider about their sexual orientation again. And, you know, that's something that's, um, it could be very uh, dangerous for someone because of the fact that, you know, if, you're, if your healthcare provider doesn't know that information, then they can't tell you certain things about, you know, being able to protect yourself, um, you know, that, that you should be able to, to be aware of. Like, for example, um, you know, I know that, um, you know, one of the sources spoke about the fact that, you know, you could be more likely to, um, you know, contract STIs if, if there's certain information you're not aware of and your doctor doesn't you know, help you make certain decisions about these things. So, you know, that can be, you know, a fairly um, dangerous thing for people if they don't have the information. Right, right. I, I mean, you know, to, to somewhat kind of dwindle down our, our relationship or wind down our relationship, our discussion, I'm sorry, I'm thinking about relationships and sex and medical schools. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, to wind down in our discussion and somewhat conclude, I, I mean, it sounds really horrible that, you know, not much is being done within the medical community to address LGBTQ, you know, health and, uh, and, and such. But there are schools out there who are trying to make changes, though, right? Right. Um, yeah, I mean, for example, um, you know, John Hopkins is doing a lot. Um, you know, the, the University of Washington School of Medicine, uh, Vanderbilt University of Medicine, um, you know, there are quite a few universities that, that are working to, to change their curricula and are, you know, taking some input from, from their LGBT students and LGBT faculty. Um, and, uh, you know, certainly um, UCLA has been doing some great things. So there's been, you know, some, some really, like, you know, positive things going on. And, mm-hmm. and so it's important to, like, make sure that we, uh, you know, keep on top of that and, and are aware of that. Um, so that's, that's good news. Um, but yeah, it's happening very gradually. I guess we have to just kind of keep on at it. As you said, you know, human rights campaigns doing something about it, but larger uh, LGBT uh, organizations, national organizations should also pay attention to this. Um, Casey, I'd like to thank you for joining us here today and for sharing your article um, and, the, and this very eye-opening <laughs> uh, conversation about the medical community. Thanks very much for having me on. Casey is an education reporter at Think Progress, so you can uh, uh, follow her work there. She also writes about LGBTQ issues with a focus on bisexuality, the financial industry, and national politics in publications such as Bitch Magazine, The Crime Report, The Toast, and Autostraddle. Don't go away. We'll be back with so much more of the Michelle Miao Show right here in the Progressive Voices Network. Tune into the Michelle Miao Show weekdays at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 Eastern on Progressive Voices.